0: There are sermon outlines out on the back table if you don't have one. It's good to be here with everyone. It's good to see people new and old with us, some who are visiting with us. Uh, Just so you're aware, we are in the midst of a 36-week sermon series out of the Gospel of Matthew. This is our 19th week, so we're about right in the middle of where we're going. Um, And I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, we've been living over the last few weeks in a time where uh, a lot of smoke has, uh, has uh, been something that's been hard for us, breathing-wise. It's also been something that's been blocking the sun a bit, right? There's been a real haze on the sun, and uh, it does provide for beautiful sunsets, I, I will say. But, um, but it's sort of where we're at in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we've been running, and Jesus has been, we've been walking with Jesus, and all these things have been going forward. And a number of things, even in the parables he's spoken, they've sort of been hidden in a particular way. But now, just like today, with the wind coming and blowing out the smoke from chapters 21 through 28, Jesus makes things perfectly clear. We're going to get very clear today. And one of the things that's interesting is is that when Jesus is speaking to us out of Matthew 21 through 28, he's, he's speaking with the knowledge that these are his last days. He knows, he's already revealed this to his disciples, that he was going into Jerusalem and he knew his end. He knew that the religious leaders of that day were plotting to arrest him and kill him. They wanted him out of the way. He was destroying the status quo. He was upsetting uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the leaders and in many ways, as we'll see today, uh, they felt the weight of this And they no longer wanted this to be something that was a part of uh, life in Jerusalem in their own lives because it was rattling the foundations of uh, the way religion had been practiced in those days. So we've been seeing that. but, But I think about that. I think, what's it like? I mean, Jesus, he's the God of the universe. He's completely human. He's been walking for 33 years on earth, three years in ministry. He has all these things that he wants to say. It's urgent. You know, just like if if I knew that I was going to be gone in five days, what would be the things that I would want to share with my children and share with the people I loved? And and how urgent would it be for me? And how clear would I be? And I wouldn't be worried about what people think. You know, I, I would just be, these are important things to know. And that's where we're at with Jesus right now. This is where Jesus is right now to the people he cares for, the people he loves. He's now speaking very clearly. He's speaking words of truth and encouragement, challenge, conviction, uh, and all this. So here's the thing that's interesting. We have 11 weeks to go through the last week of Jesus' life. I don't know about you, but when's the last time you did 11 weeks of Holy Week? Like, usually you do Holy Week all in a week. You know, you start on Palm Sunday, and by Easter, all those chapters are gone, right? You just flew through them all. We as a congregation are going to have the joy and the privilege to spend 11 weeks in those final chapters. Just put that chart up just for a second. It's it's a little blurry. Don't worry about that. All I wanted to, to show you was, that's a full week. Look at that. This is what Jesus does in this week. All the times he's speaking and all the things that are going on, and and these are uh, through the last chapters of all the Gospels. And if you're somebody who wants to go through it, Chronological Bible would be a great way to do the next 11 weeks. Just a great way to get a sense to walk with Jesus this final week and hear him speak to us. So I, I do want to encourage you. Uh, as a congregation we send out questions each week Uh, maybe this is the time to start doing those questions and begin to reflect uh, on this but I really want this time to be a time for all of us a time of enrichment a time where the Spirit of God speaks through Jesus urgent last words to us okay you can take that down John thanks so let's turn to Matthew 21 I'm not going through the whole chapter there's a few things that I'm going to be looking at that I think are the emphasis of the chapter Um, And it's going to start with Jesus' trialful entry into Jerusalem. And then we're going to see in this chapter, and throughout the remaining seven chapters, the crystallization of Jesus as the true prophet, priest, and king. Matthew started with that very much in the first chapter. And now we're going to be seeing the crystallization of that and the things that he's doing. So let's start with Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So far the word this morning. So here's Jesus having already Revealed to the disciples and at the hands of the that at the hands of religious leaders he was going to be arrested, he was going to be condemned, he was going to be mocked and scourged and delivered to the Romans for crucifixion. Think about what type of courage and boldness it took for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem in the way he just entered in. He initiated this. He initiated the whole end. This was what prophecy had basically pointed to, and Jesus, knowing prophecy, enters into Jerusalem in the most public way possible. He's understanding that he is the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. So he arranges to ride into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9. Listen to this from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout! Daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. I don't think we could see something fulfilled as clearly as that. Thousands of years later, this is being fulfilled, and I love what Barclay says in his quote. Listen to this quote. You have it on your outline. Jesus could not have chosen a more dramatic moment. It was into a city surging with people, keyed up with religious expectations that he came. Right? Passover, this city is fired up. I mean, think about it. By some accounts, there were as many as 2 million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. Think about that. 2 million people in Jerusalem for the Passover, and thousands were waving palm branches and shouting out in praise, Hosanna to the Son of David. This was open and unabashed messianic adoration of Jesus. This is what this was. Essentially, Hosanna means it's a people's cry for the deliverance and for the help in the day of trouble. It's an oppressed people's cry to their savior and their king. That's what Hosanna means. An oppressed people crying out to their savior and their king. And here's the thing, his entry into Jerusalem, he's riding on a colt. Now this had to blow away some of those expectations of this being some big military victory because the military victory was represented by somebody coming on a horse as a conqueror. The people there knew. They knew their scripture and everything. They knew riding in on a donkey was radically different. It wasn't proclaiming the triumph of victory, of military victory. No, it was proclaiming the triumph of humility over pride, over worldly glory, poverty over affluence, meekness, And gentleness over rage and malice. King Jesus came to make peace, not war. King Jesus came to make peace, not war. Listen to these words from the same account out of Luke 19. He adds, uh, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. See, he wasn't coming to bring worldly peace. He was coming to bring peace with God. Peace with God for a rebellious people, a people who were full of their own glory and ways who have become actually the enemies of God. He was coming to make peace with God, the king of peace. So we see this first piece of where this is going. And so we have him entering in. He's the king, but he's also the priest. And let's read now from Matthew 21, verses 12 to 17. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. What a day. See, if the entry into Jerusalem had been a defiant act, Then think about driving out all who were buying and selling in the temple courts. Now, that's defiance upon defiance. I mean, think about this. Uh, This is one of the most courageous things you could see somebody do. I mean, literally, you know, you could say he had a death wish in some ways, right? I mean, he was laying it out there because he was not only fulfilling prophecy, but he had a love that was driving him. So, I want you to get a sense of this. So, I have a picture here of the temple so we can better visualize. So, so there's the temple. Okay? And, And you see on this side are all these courts. You see that big court there? That's the court of the Gentiles. Okay? So, think about that. There's thousands upon thousands of people in there. There's all this market stuff going on. Yes, some people are taking advantage of people. There's animals being sold. There's There's money being changed. It's it's like this craziness going on in there. And in walks Jesus and starts throwing tables around. I mean, think about this. Think about going down to South Philly to the Italian market and start doing that. Who's going to pull out their gun first? I mean, but think about this for a second. This was, think about stirring people up and think about what this really meant. Right? This was an amazing act. Uh, just, Just who could even get away with something like that? This was strong to capacity. There was Jewish visitors from all over the world, Gentile visitors from all over the world, and here comes Jesus, and he does this. You can take the picture down. You know, this incident shows us Jesus' anger toward those who exploited others in the name of serving God. Okay? They exploited others in the name of serving God. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 7 11, that men made the temple a den of thieves. Men made the temple a den of thieves. And although this was certainly a part of Jesus' priestly anger, Here's what was more disturbing to Jesus. You hear it in his words, was how this marketplace activity in the court of the Gentiles made it impossible for ordinary people to come and worship in the house of God. That was was so on his heart that this was intended in particular for those who had no knowledge of God to come in, whose souls longed, who had some type of sense that there was something about this God and they wanted to come. And I love what Barclay says uh, in his commentary here in this quote. In that uproar of buying and selling and bargaining and auctioneering, prayer was impossible Those who sought God's presence were being debarred from it from the very people of God's house. See, here's here's the truth God will never hold guiltless those who make it impossible for others to worship Him. That's, That's an important truth. You know, He spoke that when He spoke to the disciples about the children. Have the children come to Me, don't hinder them from coming. This was always on his heart and mind. What are the things that are hindering people from coming to God? He will not hold us guiltless. And that, that's where he's at with that. And so, as the temple court is emptied out, who are now able to come to Jesus? It says the blind and the lame were able to come. Why? Because the blind and the lame were restricted only to the Gentile courts. They were called unclean. As a matter of fact, some of them would say it was their sin that caused them to do this. They were not allowed in. Even though they were a people of Israel, they weren't allowed in. They had been ostracized. But here they were in the court. They didn't leave because they knew Jesus' heart. They were desperate for Jesus. And now they had the openness to express that. And Jesus does what? He heals them. In his priestly function, he heals them. He comes to them. And then the next scene is children, seeing these wonderful things, they begin to praise Jesus again. It's a sense of like spontaneous praise. Hosanna. They're crying out. And what do the leaders do? Well, they're indignant. Now, this is real hypocrisy, right? Think about this. Greed and theft in the temple didn't bother them, but praise to Jesus did. Greed and theft didn't bother them, but praise to Jesus did. So Jesus uses the words of Psalm 8 to quiet their indignation, and they have nothing to say. And that's how Jesus leaves that day. That's that's his day. (laughs) One day. How powerful is that? But he comes back the next day. So he leaves, he goes to Bethany, he stays with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who he just raised from the dead. I can't imagine what kind of conversation they have after that day. (laughs) I would have loved to have been at that table. And then he comes back the next day. And when he comes back the next day, he begins teaching. And it says he begins speaking in parables. The first one there in Matthew is the two sons. We're not going to be looking at that one, but the next one I think is really important for us to look at, and that's how we're going to sort of end today looking at this because this is Jesus as the prophet, starting in verse 33. Let's look at this. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So this is Jesus saying the story, but now in the middle of the story, ask the leaders that are listening to this, this question, what will happen? What will they do? Here's what their answer is. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. They don't know how prophetic they were. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? Now listen to this. Think about those words. These are the theologians. These are the people who study the word all the time. These are the people who interpret the law for the people of Israel. And what does Jesus say to them? How does he say it? Have you never read in the scriptures? I think they might have been a little angry at those words. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who were produced its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is so clear. It's pure sunshine. It's speaking clearly here. In this parable, Jesus describes the history and fate of Israel. That's what he's saying right here. Every detail of this parable is based on what is known as a fact to the people listening to it. The landowner who planted the vineyard is God. The vineyard is the nation of Israel, as it's expressed in Isaiah 5 and other places in the Old Testament. The farmers are the religious leaders of Israel who had charge for God and the welfare of the nation. The messengers who were sent are the prophets sent by God who were so often rejected and killed. And the son who came last was Jesus himself. In this parable, Jesus portrays the madness of the chief priests and the elders who are plotting to kill the father's son sent as the prophet priest, and king, to warn them and call them to repentance. I think about that. And and I'm astounded when I think about that. Think about that for a second. This is Jesus. They had to understand exactly what he was saying. They understood. And they're the ones who proclaim what the wicked servants deserved. He asked them the question. They prophesied it themselves, what they deserved. I mean, that's amazing to me. And in their own words to Jesus' question, they proclaim they deserve judgment. And then Jesus goes on to make it perfectly clear what the eventual consequences of their rejection of him would be. He uses Old Testament pictures out of Psalm 118, Psalm 8, and Daniel 2 making it clear that all these Old Testament pictures are summed up in him. Jesus is the rejected stone of Psalm 118 that God appointed to become the chief cornerstone. He's also the stone of Isaiah 8, the people stumble over, the foundation stone and precious cornerstone of Isaiah 28, and the stone of Daniel 2 that destroys the world in rebellion. He brings it all together. It's all together in Christ. And he's bringing it to them. How much more clearer can Jesus be as he brings this? The choice is before the religious leaders and all the people. Be broken in humble surrender before God or be completely broken in judgment. And the leaders clearly knew Jesus was talking about them. Who told them that Jesus was talking about them? It was their own guilty conscience that told them. It was their conscience speaking to them that they were guilty. (sighs) Wow. But instead of repenting, they responded with anger and looked for a way to arrest Jesus. Think about that and look for a way to arrest Jesus so they could kill him and be rid of him. And what they did was throw away their privilege and right as a nation that would be called God's chosen people. The ones who were given the privilege of bringing blessing to the rest of the world. That's what Jesus had said to them. Their time was up. They rejected Christ. They rejected him. Listen to what R.T. France says in the quote there. The sphere in which we must look for God at work in salvation is no longer the nation of Israel, but another nation. This is not the Gentiles as such that will require the plural ethnicin, not the singular ethni, but a people of God derived from all nations, Jew and Gentile. This is what Jesus did. This is what happened through the cross. This is where the blood brought new life and new creation a new Israel in Christ Jesus. We are that Israel today. We are the new church. We have been given the privilege of being a blessing to the nations and our neighbors and our families because we have been called by Christ himself. So then how do these words apply to us today? Let's think about this for a few moments. Do we know Jesus as the King of peace? The one who brings peace with God through his redemptive work on the cross? And, and what I mean by that is do you truly know that you have peace with God? That that it's not on a scale It's not something that every day I have to work up to having peace with God. I have to look at what I've done and what I haven't done. But that for all eternity, in Christ, we are at peace with God. We have been reconciled. We've been forgiven. We can be assured that we have peace with God. When Paul in Romans 7 looks at himself and sees himself and says, Oh, what a sinner I am. Every time I want to do good, I sin. He goes through this whole, you know... List of of, of how that's working in his heart. At Romans 8, he says, But now there's no condemnation for those who believe. Hallelujah. There is peace with God, bought by the blood of Christ, the King of peace. Hallelujah. You got to know it. You got to believe it. The Holy Spirit is alive and making that a reality. And if it's not happening, Cry out to the Holy Spirit. Get other people to pray for you. Go back to the Word. This peace is ours. It was bought for by Christ himself. Hallelujah. Amen. This peace is ours. Through Christ. I no longer am not able to approach God. But the throne has been opened. The blood has been sprinkled. And we can come expectantly, boldly, to God. We can come humbly to God and know that He forgives us. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, as the Church of Christ, do we live knowing that we have peace with God? That's the first thing He wants us to know very clearly. He's the King of Peace. That second thing is, are we who are now a temple through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit Allowing the Spirit to cleanse us of our rebellion, our worldliness, our idols, Are using Jesus for our own gain. Are we? We have the Holy Spirit in us. The scripture tells us we're the living stones who are being created, and it's in the new temple. When conviction comes, because it does come, right? When conviction comes, what do I do with it? Do I welcome it? Or do I rationalize it away? Have I become so hard-hearted that I don't even want to listen to it? I begin to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is coming in his priestly manner to say, I'm cleansing you. I'm bringing cleansing. Do you understand? I'm showing you these things so you can go. Go. To the king of peace, you can go and know forgiveness and reconciliation. You can go and say, fill me to make me more like Jesus. And in that, you're now becoming more the temple of God. Hallelujah. This is what he's saying to us. This is our privilege as the new church. How are you doing with this? What do you do with conviction in your life? Do you dare to believe and go that when you go, you're forgiven? And does that stir you then to forgive others in a priestly manner? This is ours in Christ. And as we do that, and as I am cleansed from the inside out, I change. And my heart becomes something that says, I want to stand in the gap for people. I want to love people. I want to be that priest who stands in the gap. I want to cry out in prayer for my brothers and my sisters. I want to look at my neighbor and say, I want them to know this king of peace. I want to cry out for the nations and for revival. I want to lift up the Lord because now I can, being cleansed by the Spirit, approaching the throne of grace. Hallelujah. This is the privilege of sons and daughters who cry out, Abba, Father, hallelujah. Amen? This is us. This is who we are. This is our priestly role. Let us not hinder, but let us encourage those to know and come to the house of God. But the house of God goes out now. It isn't just in Jerusalem. It goes out. It's us moving out the aroma of Christ. Hallelujah. How powerful is that? Are we spurning Jesus' call in our lives to be his representatives and witnesses, as as was certainly evident in Israel, of bringing salvation through our words and our actions to the people in our webs of relationships, to the poor, to the orphaned, to the oppressed and the blind? Well, I want to say to you, Bridge Church, praise God. Our teenagers went out a couple weeks ago. What were they doing? They were living out the gospel as witnesses. That's what they were doing. They were showing the love of Christ to those who were in great need. They were representing Christ. How powerful is that? And today we have a team commissioned to go to Eswatini in South Africa. What, what are they doing? They're representing Christ. They're going to the deaf population. They're going to the orphans and the widows. And what are they bringing? They're bringing the compassion of Christ in their actions, and they're bringing the word of life through the gospel. Thank God. Bridge Church, let's continue to move in that direction. Let us go forward in these things together as we know the King of Peace, as we see ourselves being cleansed and are those intercessors and mediators who step out in bold witness as Christ has empowered and enabled us to do. Hallelujah. What a purpose we have. Oh, I like going down the shore. I like doing good things, don't you? But these are even better. Better. I'm telling you, they're even better. When you step into the pleasure of God, there is nothing like it. There is a joy that goes so deep. There's Ebenezer's in your life that you can grab hold of in times of trouble. No, this is what God has given us. Let us do this together. Bridge Church. I, I was thinking about this, you know. During the pandemic, all the stuff that was going on, I mean, people leaving our church and other churches, oh, this one wanted mass, this one didn't want mass, this had a political view, this person had a political view. It was it was murder. And being a pastor in that time was heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. And and at some point there was the sense is, is 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 Jesus passing us by? Is, is Jesus passing us by? Is he going to use something else, some other people, people who aren't living this way? Right? Ask that question today. What's what's the state of the church in America today? It's divided. It's polarized. It's, It's angry with one another. It's not willing to sit at a table together. It's fallen into the whole worldly perspective that the moment you say something that I don't like, I don't agree with, you're my enemy. No, not that we can sit down and talk about it as brothers and sisters and learn from one another and understand. No, you're my enemy. This is not the church of Christ. This is the church of Satan. And God will pass that by. But not church that he calls, that understands, living out of the king of peace. A church that's willing to hear the Holy Spirit convict them of those sins that would bring division, polarization, anger, racism, tribalism. And we would go through the whole list. It's a church willing to intercede, stand in the gap. A church that's willing to get dirty with people and to love people. So by God's grace he hasn't passed us by hallelujah and may he not We need to grow in these ways, brothers and sisters. We just need to grow in these ways. We need to hear from Jesus. We need to hear from Him. Thank you for these words, Jesus. Thank you for your urgent love over these next seven chapters, over these next 11 weeks. Let's go. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, oh, illuminate these words. Bring understanding and application and conviction and repentance and hope and encouragement and joy. Hallelujah. Do this do this let's let's ask the Holy Spirit to do this for us that we may honor him by being the aroma of Christ by being the living epistles by being his ambassadors hallelujah whether it be to our family whether it be to our neighbors to the people we work with whether it be across the globe how amazing is that purpose that we can impact people's lives in all those spheres because God has called us into his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come this morning and, oh, Lord, thank you for the clarity in which you speak to us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you want us to know that, that your heart is a heart of love, a heart that's so big, a heart that was willing to go to death and more than that, to suffer and, and to be obedient to death and all the things that are part of redemption. Thank you, that you didn't shrink back. but you boldly went forth. And in the midst of that, you spoke words that were clear, that were understandable, And and we pray over these next 11 weeks that the words will come into our hearts and minds and if they bring conviction, we will repent. And where they reveal to us the King of Peace, we will step into that peace. And where they they come, Lord, and, and there's that sense that we need to move forward and out as intercessors or those who step into people's lives, we pray that we would do this willingly knowing you are with us. We just ask, Lord, that we'd have that as we sang that deeper walk with you, that deeper walk that would fill our hearts, knowing that we're in the palm of your hand, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from you because of your love, knowing our future is secure. Do this, Lord, we pray. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand and sing.